Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Please stand, if you are able, as we read from the New Testament. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of uh, care and love and a God that brings a peace that passes all understanding. So we pray for these families that during this time of mourning, during this time of loss, that you would be with them and meet them in their grief, that their faith might be sustained and strengthened in and through it, and they might be drawn closer to you through this time of testing. But we pray that you would be a great source of encouragement, that the body might surround them with love, your love from on high. And as we come now to this text today, Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds so that we might taste and see that you are good, that we would walk away from this place changed by the power of your spirit working through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the course of the last month, we have been focusing on a vision for this year, things which we want to invest as a church uh, focuses that we want to have as a church leadership and as individuals here in this body. We have looked at investment in the Bible, in prayer, in missions, in leadership, and today we are looking at our investment in sharing the gospel. <clears throat> There's a driving factor though about, uh, that some of us really don't think too often about, and it's this fact that today people will die and they will spend an eternity apart from Christ. Today, that will happen. But it's far too easy for us to be consumed with a million other things that we have going on in our personal lives and even in the, the life here at the church. And it's easy for us to go about our in-house uh, religious business, kind of like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients every day but has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing but a smooth running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. This unfortunately happens to many churches and we do not want Stony Point Church to be one of those. So we are making this call to invest in sharing the gospel. And we're gonna look at Colossians 4, two to six today as we do that. So I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles or your phone there to that text, Colossians 4, 2 to 6. And as we go through this, there's something that we are going to see over and over again, and it's this. How intentional am I about sharing the gospel? We've got to ask ourselves that question. How intentional am I about sharing the gospel? Now, this text is pretty straightforward, and we're going to work our way through it just as it is laid out. And we'll see first, talking to God about people, and then secondly, talking to people about God. So let's look first at talking to God about people. 
Now, I know that we've already looked a few weeks ago at our investment in prayer as a church, but this text supports that call to invest in prayer, but drives us more deeply and specifically in the direction about prayers, about sharing the gospel. You see, this whole text here is about evangelism, that is sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this text reminds us that the two, prayer and sharing, must go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. So what comes first in sharing the gospel? What comes first in talking to God about people? And that we see this text is how to pray and what to pray. First, how to pray. We see right down there, steadfastly. We're to pray steadfastly. This word means with consistency, with devotedness, with constancy. There's a preposition at the beginning of this word in the Greek, so it intensifies its meaning. And we could say that what this word means is to be courageously persistent in our prayers or to hold on and not let go. It's the opposite of the the one-off prayers that we often have, and it implies an earnest pursuit of God in a specific and intentional way. Remember, this text is geared towards sharing the gospel. So practically, this means having specific people on our list for which we are praying that they might taste and see that God is good, that they might know the love of Christ, that they might be granted faith. And it's our hearts are regularly pleading to God on their behalf. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane uh, was very intelligent. He knew Hebrew well enough to speak it with European Jews. He had an appetite for the Greek classics. And he kept his own diary in Latin. Now he could have left his church in the small town of Dundee, Scotland, for a much bigger, a more notable pulpit, but he never did. And he said, because no church could offer him the time to pray like Dundee could. So he stayed persistent in prayer, steadfastly. But secondly, watchfully. This carries the idea of more than just being awake, but it's an intentional looking as we go through life for specific things that we can put on that prayer list. We are watchful for where God is and where God might be working so that we can cast those before the feet of the Lord. Now there's a tension here that we have between the bold, persistent prayer and watchful waiting on God's will. But we must have both. Steadfastly, watchfully, but also thankfully. Now this is the fifth time in this little letter that Paul has mentioned gratitude. But what does it mean in the context of this section? It's thanksgiving that God is the God that came to seek and save that which was lost. That God is a God that has great compassion on the orphan, on the widow, on the outcast, on the immigrant. That God is a God where no chain is too large to be broken. No sin is too big for the power of the life and death of Jesus Christ. He's a God that delights to draw near those that were once far off. He's a God that declares that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
that in Christ we are new creations. These are all things for which we can be thankful. Thankful that God is in the business of reconciliation, redemption, and restoration. Restoring that which is broken. We're thankful that God delights in using people like us to bring all of these things to pass. But the other thing that Paul means is that we should be thankful for what God is going to do. Not just what he has done for us, but as we pray for people, as we talk to God about people, we are thankful in faith, expecting him to work. Knowing that this is how he works. So we're not just focused on all the things for us, but we are in an expectant faith saying, God, thank you that you are going to save souls this year that people might be brought to Christ through you working through me. That's how to pray to God about people, but what to pray. If you look down at the text, we see pray for open doors. Now this letter to the Colossians is a prison epistle, meaning that Paul wrote this letter from prison, where he actually spent two years and it, he was wrongfully accused as well. Now, if you're going to write a letter to somebody asking them to pray for you when you are in prison, what is your request going to be? Pray that I'll get out of prison, right? All of us would do that. But what does Paul say? Paul says, pray that I will have an open door to share the gospel. Paul says, okay, I'm, God has me in prison here right now for some reason. I don't know, but he has me here. So pray that while I'm here, I have open doors to share the gospel. But note that it is God that must open the door. None of our smooth, savvy words, none of the flashy things that we do, all of those things have no effect unless God has opened the door. And more on this in a bit. But there are times in life when God flings wide open a door for sharing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And in 2 Corinthians, he said, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. And then Revelation 3.8, Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now, I would actually love to know the timing of the prayers from these people in Colossae in relation to Paul's opportunity where he had to share the gospel with the whole Praetorian Guard, right? Remember Paul talks about that? He, had the, he shared the gospel with the whole Praetorian Guard and even those that are in high political position, and I think it's answers to the prayers that he requested for right here. This church prayed and doors were opened for him. So when Paul pleads with the Colossians in our text, pray for us that God might open a door for us in the word, I take him to mean that when Christians pray, God changes circumstances and attitudes and receptivity to the word so that instead of hitting a brick wall or a heart of stone, there is a heart of flesh. God delights in working through our prayers in this way. And where the word finds an open door, it is usually effective.
So we should pray specifically and intentionally that God would blow the hinges off the door of the hearts of those people on our lists and the hearts of those people with whom we come in contact every day. The ones that we, frankly, probably expect will never have an opportunity to share the gospel. God delights to do it. Are we praying for open doors? I usually don't do something like this, but I want to bring a, church, a challenge to the church. Uh, for the next month, I would encourage you to pray this. Open my eyes to see an open door and help me to walk through it. Open my eyes to see an open door and help me to walk through it. In the, your morning devotional time or when you're drinking your coffee or when you're driving to work, wherever, just pray that prayer for the next 30 days and let's rejoice at what God does through it. Because what often happens is that when our eyes and our hearts are geared in that way, we see doors that have been open all along. And God also opens up doors afresh. So I'm excited to see over the next month what we hear in community groups and what we hear in Bible studies about what God has done to answer that prayer here at Stony Point Church. But also a clear explanation. Look at verses 3 and 4. We see those words, mystery and make clear. <clears throat> now that is the goal of sharing the gospel, that we make the mystery clear. It's not that the message of the gospel is obscure or that the message of the gospel is tricky, but it's a mystery that no one would ever know or think of unless God made it plain. It's a message that is unlike every other religion that says you have to do this and that to come before God. It's the message of the gospel that God provided everything for us in Christ. That the Son of God would become human and live on earth, that his life would be one of poverty and love and perfect obedience that he would die in the place of sinners and take on the whole wrath of God, even though he was sinless. It's a mystery that he would be raised to life and exalted as king, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That sinners would be declared perfect before God through the gift of faith. That this group of people called Christians would be made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and that all of them would be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. That Christ would dwell in our hearts and seal us until the day of glory. That death, that final enemy, will be put to death. And we will dwell for eternity in glorified bodies. No one would have ever thought of this. These are the mysteries of the gospel that God has now revealed and made clear to the world. So pray that we might have a clear explanation. We should pray for that on a daily basis, that as we walk through those open doors, that our words might be clear. You know, Charles Spurgeon said that God said to feed my sheep, feed my lambs, not feed my giraffes. What a lot of us do is we try to get so intellectual and so high, the gospel is a simple message. This is the prayer that we should have daily. 
It's a prayer that uh, particularly we as preachers hope that you are praying as you come to worship, that the word will go out clearly, that hearts might hear and know that they might see the gospel and might be changed. That's why Spurgeon, underneath his pulpit, had the boiler room where over two or three hundred people gathered to pray every time he preached that the word would go forth clearly. So pray for a clear explanation. So talking to God about people, our prayers are a necessary and vital part of our investment in sharing the gospel. And if we want to invest in sharing the gospel, our first step must be prayers that are bent toward gospel sharing. You know, the Christian church in Korea has exploded in growth over the past decade. And Paul Yonggi Cho, the pastor of one of these great Korean churches, said something that was very telling. He explained the difference between what God is doing there in Korea and what is happening here in the United States. He said, Americans stay after church and eat. We stay after church and pray. That hurts. How much are we truly praying? How much are we truly talking to God about people? How intentional am I in talking to God about people? But then secondly, talking to people about God. Abolitionist Frederick Douglass had it right when he said, I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. So the call is not just to pray, but the call is to go and do something. And we know there are commands and expectations all throughout the Bible about actually sharing the gospel. Prayer is the first step, but it is not the only step that we must take. Romans 10 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You and I are those preachers. Now these next verses here in Colossians speak about how we relate to and speak to others in our lives. And first, if you look at the text, we see in talking to people about God that we must walk in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is knowing how to be all things to all people without compromising. It's humble boldness. It's creativity. It's tact. It's thoughtfulness. It's taking note of the manners and social customs of the community that enables us to avoid offensive and rude behavior. It's adorning or putting on the gospel meaning that our lives reinforce the words that we're speaking. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not act unbecomingly. Instead, it walks in wisdom. In that light, it is, it's living in the moment, really being there with that person in front of us, listening and seeing what it is that they might need, what it is that they want, we note cultural expectations that aren't sinful. 
and we speak the truth of the gospel into these things. How do we live like this? He just told us in chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So it comes from letting the word of Christ dwell in us. And also asking for wisdom, as we see in James. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. So walk in wisdom. But next, take opportunities. We see this in that phrase, making the best use of the time. Now this literally means to buy up the opportunity. Buy up the opportunity. Now, I have a buddy that loves yard sales and he loves putting things on Facebook Marketplace and he goes in and finds a, a screaming deal and then sometimes we'll even uh, turn it around for profit. Now, our lives are like that. They are a journey of opportunities that are to be bought up. These opportunities are maybe ones that are never going to be repeated and that's a great way to look at life, really, because nothing, nothing is an accident. Whether we think that we are on course or maybe that our lives are on a detour right now, every moment of life is one that can be bought up. It's an opportunity that can be bought up for eternity. Wisdom helps us to look at life this way. That that interruption to our day is not just an annoyance, but it's actually an opportunity. That that little curious comment that someone made that maybe gave a little window into something going on in their heart is an open door for you to share the love of Christ. Opportunities. You know, I have a youth pastor friend that um, at restaurants, when they bring the food, he says, we're going to pray and ask God to bless this food, but I was curious if while you're here, if you had any prayer requests for which we can be praying. Now, that may or may not be your style, but I remember one time we did that, and the girl broke down, and she just spilled her heart out on the table. Opportunities. You know, the, there's a story of... Pastor Duncan Campbell. He was a minister of the United Free Church of Scotland. Uh, and in the 1950s and 60s, he was uh, doing some ministry on the, the islands on the west side of mainland Scotland. And he shares this story. On Monday after Easter in 1952, Duncan, this is the pastor, was seated on the platform after speaking to the Faith Mission Convention in Banghor, Northern Ireland. Ireland, when he sensed an inner voice saying to him, burn array. Now this is an island that is on that side of Scotland. Duncan bowed his head and he prayed silently and again the voice came, burn array, and he prayed on and again the name called out a third time. So Campbell turned to the chairman as they were there on the platform at this conference and he whispered, Brother, you will need to excuse me. The Holy Spirit has just told me that I need to go to Burnaray. Now, the chairman uh, objected mildly and he said, But you're supposed to be the speaker tomorrow. But nothing could stop him. 
he knew that the Spirit had spoken. He had never been to Burnaray before. He had never known anyone from there, had never received a letter from there, but he sensed this calling. So he went to his hotel, immediately packed two suitcases, and contacted the airport. Now, there were no connections with Burnaray so, because it was too small and an out-of-the-way island. So he caught the first flight to the nearest island. And when he got there, he went down to the coast, and he asked a fisherman, how do I get to Burnaray? And the fisherman said, now there's no usual commercial way, but I can take you there for this amount of money, which just happened to be the amount of money that he had in his pocket. So when they got to Burnaray, the fisherman returned and left Campbell there alone on the shore, and he climbed up this bluff, and he found himself on the edge of a plowed field. And a farmer was not far away, and he said, please go to the nearest pastor and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. And the farmer responded, well, we don't currently have a minister for our church right now. And he said, well, do you have elders? And the farmer said, yes. And he said, all right, go to the nearest elder and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. The farmer looked at him really quizzically and started off across the field as Campbell sat there on his suitcases. After a while, the farmer returned and said, the elder was expecting you. He has a place ready for you. He has announced the meetings, and they begin tonight at 9 o'clock. You see, while Campbell had been ministering in the convention at Banghor three days earlier, this elder had spent one of those days praying all day in his barn for God to send revival to the island. And God gave him this promise from Hosea 14, I will be as the dew unto Israel. So he claimed it in faith, and his wife even heard him inside the house that he was praying out in the barn, Lord, I don't know where he is, but you know, and, you, and with you all things are possible. You send him to this island, because this farmer knew in his heart that God was going to send Duncan Campbell who had been used mightily for revival in Scotland. He was so sure that he would be there in three days, he had everything arranged, housing and the church prepared. The story goes on. Great revival came to that island because a door for the word was opened that no man could shut because God had opened it. One of his friends draws out this lesson. When God has people who prevail in prayer and people who know how to recognize the voice of the Spirit and obey without question, there is no limit to what God can do. Those are the prayers, right? May things like that happen in our lives because we take opportunities and usually opportunities taken disrupt our lives but there's great reward then it calls us to speak graciously let your speech be always gracious seasoned with salt now to speak with grace means to speak words that are fitting for the moment words that are sensitive words that are purposeful words that are complimentary that are truthful that are loving that are kind gentle all of these things just for starters now salty speech in this text is not what we would think of today oh he's salty today that's 
or the sailor talk. That's not what it's talking about. Seasoned with salt means that it prevents corruption, but that it also flavors. Salty speech is relevant to the hearer. It's not lofty or holy sounding. And this is directly connected to wisdom and a clear explanation. You see, salty speech whets the appetite of the hearer. It's speech that is winsome. And for a variety of reasons, the last handful of years have seen a great lack of speaking graciously and speech seasoned with salt. And those that claim Christ have not been immune to this either. We have taken the bait of the evil one hook, line, and sinker. And there's been many things in our culture that have caused great division. But here's the news flash from this text. You can disagree with someone and still love them. You can still speak to them and treat them lovingly. Now, I know it may seem like a novel idea, but gracious speech is civil. Now, do we, in our speech, cause unnecessary defensiveness for others or division? You know, uncivil discourse never persuaded anyone. May we have gracious speech. And this, by the way, actually assumes that you have people in your life that are different from you, from which you don't agree, and that you're ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within you. And of course, not every question uh, you will have an answer for. But you say, that's a great question. Let me do a little research and continue the conversation. That's humble wisdom right there. But then finally, we see individual attention. Look at the end of verse 6. So that you might know how you ought to answer each person. Now, we know that there is a time for the proclamation of the gospel in a group setting like we have here today. But God is also and mightily at work in and through the daily interactions of his people in your lives. This is the simple point that each person with whom we come in contact is different. Their situation of life is different. But the gospel message never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there are countless ways to be able to share the gospel of grace with other people. And we can only do that when they have individual attention. It is, is actually caring for them enough to listen, to dive into their circumstances, to get into the mud and dirt with them to love them in that way. But it's far too easy for us to just steamroll them with the truth, right? That never works. Now, so much could be said about this text, but the question still remains, how intentional am I about sharing the gospel? We are called to intentional conversations with God about people and intentional conversations with people about God. 
May God do a mighty work through Stony Point as we grasp these principles. And if you want to touch on some further resources, uh, coming up in the next month in March, uh, we're going to be having an evangelism class that's taught by Kumi Gornson and Matt Cover and Greg Brooks. And there's also two books that you'll see right here behind me, Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. It's, the subtitle is The Whole Gospel, Holy by Grace, Communicated Truthfully and Lovingly, I think is a book that all Christ followers should read at some point in their life. And then another practical one, Jesus the Evangelist by Richard Phillips, subtitled uh, Learning to Share the Gospel from the Book of John. These are some great resources that will push us to talking to God about people and talking to people about God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God that delights in using broken people like us to build your kingdom here on earth. So, Father, I pray specifically for those that are here today and for those that are watching online that you would help us this month to have our eyes open, to open doors, and to walk through them so that your name might be renowned in this place, that your name might be glorified, so that people are changed by the power of your grace into friends and family as our brothers and sisters in Christ. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen.